Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Thursday, June 15th, 2023. So why are we recording so late this week, folks? I literally just got back from a road trip. In fact, Nancy and I arrived home last night at 12.30. I had been out in Ohio at Dayton, Disneyana, then drove out to Kansas City to collect Nancy, who was doing a Hallmark convention and then uh we did laughagram studios where walt basically started his professional animation career then drove out to uh, missouri to visit marceline and stopped by the disney home hometown museum uh, managed to put 4,250 miles in the car in just eight days and, and i know you have been doing a lot of road tripping over the last three months or so. Mm-hmm. Do you know that feeling when you, you finish the long road trip, you're home, but you still feel like you're in the car, that that little, you know. <laughs> uh, you know. Your, your body's been folded into a certain position for so long, it's like you you're still feel like you're in driving position, the yeah. tense shoulders and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is exactly why I ordered the uh, the hotel room with the Whirlpool Spa. Uh, to blow the the jets and get the kinks out. Okay, and so uh, speaking of chugging along, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, 13 days in theaters at this point, has earned 240 million North America, 87 million overseas, worldwide gross to date of 328 million. The first animated Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse was released domestically back in mid-November of 2018 and over 112 days in North American theaters, uh, sold 190 million worth of tickets. So contrast that to Across the Spider-Verse in just 13 days in theaters has already earned $50 million more than the first animated Spidey did during a four-month-long run. So uh, that's kind of crazy. Folks at Sony have to be thrilled with how Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse has been doing at the box office. That said, they were taking no chances with uh, this Enter the Spider-Verse sequel. They were tweaking it right up until it was released to theaters on June 2nd of this year. And we know this because Haley Steinfeld, the uh, voice of Gwen Stacy, she was on the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast, which is hosted by Joss Horowitz just recently, and got talking uh, about voicing uh, Spider-Gwen. And then talked about how down to the wire they were when it came to the voice work on, on the sequel to Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, interview recorded in late May, just ahead of Across the Spider-Verse released to theaters. And Steinfeld basically said, we had been working on this one until like a week ago. Speaking of Spider-Gwen, Across the Spider-Verse producers, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, were guests on Anthony D'Alessandro's Crew Call podcast. Well, all right, Aaron, is this where we hammer on the klaxon? 
because we we are going to minor spoilers, itty bitty. Oh spoilers. yeah, absolutely. All right, go ahead. Here we go. Horn horn is sounding. Okay. Everybody, cover your ears for the next uh, two minutes if you want to remain spoiler free. Go ahead. Okay. Delisandro specifically asked Lord and Miller if there'd be multiversal variants of Gwen Stacy in Beyond the Spider Verse, which, by the way, just to remind you, doesn't arrive in theaters till March 29th of next year. And Miller said, currently, yes, I would say yes. And Lord uh, commented on that, that there's one I'm very excited about. And Miller continued, yes, I know exactly the one you're talking about. And Lord uh, continued, you know the one I'm thinking of, which is based on, uh, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. Uh, and Miller finished this out, but, but it is sort of integral to the plot, I would say. Well, I should certainly hope so. <laughs> Otherwise, it would get cut, right? <laughs> yeah, but but I have to get out this weekend at, at some point and see uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Likewise, The Flash, which also has all sorts of multiverse twists and turns. Uh, Aaron and I got dinged a few weeks back because we revealed that Nicolas Cage would be appearing in this movie playing the Man of Steel he was supposed to play in Tim Burton's Superman Live, which uh, Warner Brothers was originally supposed to release to theaters back in the summer of 1998. So 25 years ago, we were supposed to get this version, uh, Nicolas Cage's version of Superman. So I, I just must have been weird for him to pull on the suit that far after the fact. By the way, I've also heard that mm. uh, shows up as and uh, shows up as There and, are uh, so many so many <laughs> in this movie. But the big question here, obviously, is how much multiverse is too much multiverse? I mean, think about it. both Marvel and DC are really working this side of the street in their cinematic universes. And will the concept continue to seem special? I think after we get done with it, mm -hmm. we'll be so full of it mm -hmm. that the next phase will be like a, a new clean slate. You know, the way that, that Thanos just isn't even referenced anymore. It was like, yep, that was phase one, but here we are, you know, much, much later in our phases and we don't need to reference Thanos. So I, I think that by the time we do finally get to Secret Wars mm -hmm. and it's over with, the, the next phase will be like, okay, now it's the Galactus phase and all compasses will point towards that one story thread. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, DC's going to have to do something as well with their relaunch. Mm -hmm. So I don't think James Gunn is going to be too eager to keep going back to that well. He's going to want to start with a, a clean slate. And so I think DC's got a, a fresh starting point. And once Marvel's done playing its hand out, they'll have uh, other things they'll want to move on to as well. Speaking of, of making these films special, you, you came across an article this week uh, about well, you, you talked on, on our last show about spider punk and, and how, how it kind of hurt your eyes. And, and now you now you know why. Exactly. So. There, uh, it was on Twitter and the handle, if you want to go follow this person, apparently this is the animator for mm -hmm. uh, spider punk is at CG. R-A-T-Z-L-A-F-F. -F. I guess that's CG Rat's Laugh. Okay. Oh. <laughs> so uh, he said that they had to break all the animation rules in order to bring Spider-Punk alive. 
And he did a test demo, and the higher-ups liked the results so much that they said, yes, let's do this for the entirety of the movie. And so then in his tweet, he revealed their rules for Hobie were bodies on the threes, offset the vest, also on the threes but delayed by a frame or two, guitar on fours, outline on twos only when he's moving, should remain static when he's held still, and then they have a cutout around the guitar, and of course they broke those rules whenever they needed to for the, the sake of the film. So, Jim, can you explain what it is if they're doing something on the ones, twos, threes, and fours? Because that, okay. that didn't mean anything to me. Well, all right. So film, you know, it's 16 frames per second, and typically if you want really smooth animation, you do it on the once. On the other hand, if I want to say television animation is typically Saturday mornings on fours, sometimes on twos. So as in two, you know, every second frame or every fourth frame. Oh, okay. So there's this is how many frames they're skipping to Well, a frame per second. You know, gotcha. again, okay. sixty so God, that so to to do individual parts of a character on that, you know, some on some parts of him on fours, some parts on threes. Oh, no wonder. <laughs> no, can I want you to, if you could, yeah. because you understand the technical, the, the backside of it, right? right? I want you to try to imagine your, in your head what looking at Spider-Punk animated like that would do to your brain. Mm. And then when you actually get into the theater, see how it lines up. Is, is it as chaotic? Because I just, my eyes could not hold a single image. It was always in flux, moving, popping. And, and I know he's spider punk, right? You got to make it punk rock. You got to break the rules, man. Mm -hmm. So I get that, you know, if you're breaking the animation rules, that's punk rock. That's cool. But my eyes just, they, they can't handle it. And so it's like, I would love it if it were still art hanging mm -hmm. on a wall in a movie. Hard for me to grasp visually. So, uh, yeah, in, enjoy that when you do see it, you know, keep those numbers in mind and, and see, wow, is this as punk rock? Is that is that what, you know, that yeah, animation um, style translates to now for punk rock? But that I mean, just individual body parts or aspects of the character done in that style. I mean, you know how, you know, they talk about how in subliminal advertising, I mean, it, mm -hmm. it, suddenly we're getting into 32nd Street right. territory here. Aaron, the other wonderful podcast that Aaron works on. But one frame to make a piece of clothing pop or a guitar pop or that sort of thing. Uh, but to do that for an entire film, oh my God. Yeah, oh. but they're also doing it like, you know, it's like in one instant, it'll look like he was a newspaper clipping. Mm -hmm. And then the next instant, like his Mohawk style will change dramatically. And, and like he's always morphing and fluxing. It's not like, you know, if Miles is wearing his red and white Jordan shoes mm -hmm. and he's, you know, got his normal, you know, clothes on, that stays consistent throughout the entirety of the movie. But Spider Punk is constantly just changing and that is especially if you're doing it at this offset rate mm -hmm. it just is buggy it, it looks like a glitch happening constantly and i, I mean I, I get the it's it's punk rock it's the style it's cool try it uh, just mm -hmm. i wish my eyes could handle it yeah I, and there's a part of me that just it's one thing for an animator proposed doing that it's quite another to have to do it for an entire film. I, you know, it just right. well, he's not in it that much. The this this one character mm -hmm. doesn't have the the world's largest amount of screen time. Mm -hmm. So, if he's doing it just on this one character, that may be I don't know ten minutes of film. Mm -hmm. 
out of that whole two and two and a half hour runtime plus or whatever it was. So yeah, not 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 the whole film. Wow, but even so, yeah, you know, just, yeah. just still one a, of those things. Yikes. Okay. So lots of other Marvel related news to get to here, folks. So, but before we do that, I want to remind you news portion of Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay, Aaron, we are now six weeks and change into the writer's strike, which officially began back on May 2nd at 12.01 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And it seems like every week now we have news about yet another Marvel Studios production that's either been severely impacted or flat out shut down by this job action. Uh, By the way, folks, just to be clear here, Ann and I stand solidly with the writers. Anyway, just today, as Aaron and I were getting ready to record this week's edition of Marvelous Disney, we learned that Daredevil Reborn, the 18-episode reboot of the Netflix series, and the reboot, by the way, began uh, officially being a production in New York City back on March 6th of this year, has now officially halted production and won't resume shooting until the writer's strike is over. Now, Mind you, Aaron, the scripts are written. They could have, in theory, continued, but uh, the writers, the picket lines that the writers set up, a number of the unions that are sympathetic to the writers just flat out refused to cross the picket lines. And it it just became so time-consuming to try to get anything shot. It's like, okay, we're done. Well, plus there was that typo where they called him Dark Devil for a couple of pages. <laughs> Damn autocorrect. We could have been filming. Uh, that's funny. Uh, anyway, they uh, at this point, they are three months into filming Daredevil Reborn. Now, honestly, not sure how many episodes are in the can at this point. And I, what I do know is shooting on this limited series for Disney+. Plus was supposed to continue for another five months till November 15th of this year. So... We'll have to see what happens there. Uh, Writer's Strike uh, has been impacting projects that Marvel Studios was readying for theatrical release as well. In the case of Deadpool 3, because of that film, that film actually has a unique get-out-of-jail-free card because Ryan Reynolds isn't just starring. He's also producing Deadpool 3. So that allows this film, filmmaker to uh, tweak the script of the, the, the movie while it's in production. So Deadpool 3 won't be hampered by the writer's strike, which, which is why, I'm told, Marvel Studios just opted to move up the release date of this Ryan Reynolds, Hugh Jackman two-hander from November 8th of next year to May 3rd. 2024. And uh, <laughs> if you hear that screaming off in the distance, folks, those are the, the special effects people who are, are working on this Sean Levy film who just found out they have in seven fewer months to complete the effects work. Which, remember, we, we were just talking about quantum mania and some of the issues, uh, you know, a lot of people talked about how the effects work got rushed on that film and made things really problematic at Marvel Studios. Oh, oh a quick side note. Mm-hmm. Zazie Beetz, uh, who memorably played Domino in Deadpool 2, uh, won't be returning to that role in Deadpool 3. Not sure what happened there. 
Beats is very gracious uh, when asked about this casting oversight, just, just saying that I'll, I, I'm excited to watch it when asked about uh, this next in, installment Ooh. of the Deadpool film franchise. Ooh, that don't sound good. That uh, almost sounds like uh, they recast her with someone that she would consider to be like an inferior actress and go, yeah, can't wait to see that movie. I'll be loving watching that. <laughs> Train wreck. Okay. With my popcorn. I'll be in the front row. You know, you can you can say a positive thing and have all the venom in the world in it. Like, oh, yes, I'll be in the front row on opening night with my bag of popcorn, just loving the hell out of whatever Ryan has put up on that screen because he wasn't willing to pay me money and he went with a cheap <laughs> wow. Okay, I, you and I would, would wander the Hallmark card aisle in very different ways. Yes, it's, yeah. it's a thank you card. <laughs> yeah, it's a thank you in that that southern way of bless his heart. Yeah, I, yeah. I have been known to send out cards that say uh, "Get better soon," and people go, mm -hmm. "But I'm not sick," and I'm like, "No, I know you're not. You're just a jack. <laughs> you need to get better soon." <laughs> Please. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note, getting back to other future releases from the MCU. The release date of Avengers Kang Dynasty got pushed back by a full year to May 1st, 2026. I'm told uh, this scheduling decision was a twofer. Uh, yes, publicly, this is because of the writer's strike, but privately, folks at Marvel are concerned about what's continuing to go on with Jonathan Major's legal problems. And by the way, it was interesting just in the past couple of weeks to watch how MGM, which released Creed, uh, in which uh, Majors played that, that film villain, back on uh, March 3rd of this year. And you got to remember that, that Jonathan was arrested on uh, March 25th. Uh, he's been accused of assaulting and harassing a woman. How they then changed the promotion for the the Blu-ray, which came out on uh, May 23rd. And what was interesting is the television campaign to support Creed 3. <laughs> there didn't seem to be a villain in that movie. You was know, it just, just Creed shadow boxing the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> Well, now, 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 speaking of which, though, uh, speaking of television-related stuff and, and, and Jonathan Majors, earlier this week, the assembled episode that was supposed to have, t uh, you know, uh, taken Disney Plus subscribers behind the scenes of the production of Ant-Man and the Wasp was supposed to debut on the streaming service. In fact, it was supposed to debut this week on Tuesday, uh, June 13th. And... Very last minute, uh, this episode was pulled off of Disney Plus schedule. And why was that, you ask? Because Jonathan Majors was supposed to appear in court on that very same day as his, his case moved forward. And Disney's fear was people would Google Jonathan Majors and uh, rather than be directed to the assembled episode on Disney Plus, they'd, they'd be directed to court coverage of his date in court. So it's like, okay, that, we're going to sit on that and wait for a later time to have that assembled episode get dropped into the mix. And by the way, folks, Aaron and I, when we were pre-gaming tonight, you wanted to bring up the story about the, the gentleman who played uh, Namor the Submariner. Well, I don't want to bring it up. It's just one of them things where you kind of have to talk about the elephant in the room, so to speak. You do. You do. And Tanakorda, uh, who 
was in Black Panther Wakanda Forever, has also uh, been accused. And in, in, in this case, it, it's sexual assault. And just the other day, Horter released a statement saying that these allegations are simply untrue and he's hired an attorney and they're working on that. But if you're an executive at Marvel Studios and you're looking ahead at your two big event movies, uh, Avengers Kang Dynasty, which, again, we just mentioned, has been pushed back by a year, and then the film that finishes up that story, Avengers Secret War, which were both supposed to prominently feature Kang the Conqueror and Namor the Submariner. These obviously aren't the sort of headlines you want associated with your upcoming uh, event superhero films. And, oh, oh, by the way, a release date of Avengers Secret War also been pushed back for by a full year. That's now not coming out till May 7th, 2027. So thank goodness for uh, artificial intelligence because they can just take whatever they shot and it will be, uh, they'll just replace them with Mr. Bean, someone who's very innocent. And uh, it'll be the, the Bean Wars. <laughs> and Rowan Atkinson will will be wow. our villain because he's uh, he's simply adorable. That or like, you know, the Geico Gecko, you know, is the villain because you got to find someone who is just pure innocent to play your villain and it just sucks that i mean a anything like you got you got to support the victim mm -hmm. and let them have their day in court mm -hmm. and then it seems really petty to even have to talk about what about the movies because it's you know like someone's been hurt so the conversation usually should be about the person who's been hurt Mm -hmm. And uh, and so sometimes I just see a lot of articles and they're like, you know, what about the future of Marvel? And it's just like, yeah, but what about the people that got hurt? Can we talk about that for a minute? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like COVID did a number on Disney's books. They've been they've been pinched before financially mm -hmm. for things out of their control. Mm -hmm. And I know that they would just wish that this would go away. But, you know, deep down inside, they would like justice to be served. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's kind of why they're not drawing attention to anything or anyone at the moment. They're remaining completely silent about everything until an actual verdict comes out. And then maybe there'll be a recasting if if it's guilty. Maybe they'll they'll, you know, pat him on the back and say, we knew he was good all along if it comes out not guilty. But they're not going to do a darn thing because either way, it's going to cost them financially something. Well, it's interesting you bring up. COVID and someone who's hurt. Because remember, during the production of Black Panther Wakanda Forever, yes, there was that accident on the set in Worcester, Massachusetts. But at the same time, Disney was having to deal with Letitia Wright saying some pretty controversial things in regard to vaccination and that sort of thing in regard to the pandemic. So she was, you know, it, she was kind of a twofer. Mm. And speaking of, of Letitia Wright, uh, she was inter recently interviewed by Inverse and uh, got asked about what's going on with Black Panther 3, uh, a film which, by the way, isn't on any public schedule that Marvel has revealed. And to hear Ms. Wright talk, Ryan Coogler, the writer-director of both the original Black Panther film as well as its sequel, Wakanda Forever, according to Letitia, Ryan needs to rest and think before he decide what's going to happen in Black Panther 3. So, all right, just to finish up discussing what upcoming Marvel movies had their release dates changed this past week, Captain America Brave New World has now been pushed from May 3rd 
2024 to July 24th of that same year. Thunderbolts has had its release date changed from July 26th, 2024 to December 20th of that same year. Blade, which got, only just recently got its release date changed to September 6th, 2024, has now been pushed back to uh, February 14th of the following year. And I, I don't know about you, Aaron, but nothing says happy Valentine's Day like taking your date to a vampire movie. Well, I don't know. The, hold on now. Dracula is one of the most romantic. He's always after the babes. He bites them on the neck. They are entranced and seduced in his gaze. I mean, you know, he, he is the old school classic suave villain that's uh, all about the dames. <sighs> okay. All right. I, in fact, I remember when the Frank Langella version of Dracula was on Broadway and that yeah, a woman would swoon. That, that's right. Okay. Yeah. All right. I can go behind that. Okay. And with Blade uh, now opening on February 14th, 2025, that then forced Marvel Studios to push back the release date of its Fantastic Four reboot to May 2nd of that same year, which, by the way, I'm hearing from folks at Marvel, they're actually kind of happy about this particular release date change because evidently with the script they now have in hand for the reboot, uh, the thinking is that this Matt Shankman movie uh, is really more of a summer blockbuster. And since these days, summer blockbuster season actually starts in late April, early May, May 2nd, 2025 is actually the perfect time or perfect release date for Marvel Studios Fantastic Four uh, reboot. Plus, the, it kind of takes the heat off the, all the casting rumors they've had lately. It's like, oh, no, no, that's another year away. Don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about it. This is true. And, and by the way, there are other Marvel-related movies in the works I, I wish I could tell you more about. Like, for example, that top secret Marvel Studios project that Scarlett Johansson is producing for the studio but not starring in. Johansson, who was out, uh, spoke with comicbook.com earlier this month while she was out doing publicity for Wes Anderson's uh, Asteroid City. Uh, when asked about the super secret project, which, by the way, Kevin Feige revealed was in the works, Back in November of 2021, Scarlett said, yes, it is still happening, but not currently because nothing is happening right now. We're all inside of a hoarding, holding pattern as we wait out the writer's strike. And then there's Bad Bunny's El Morto movie, the, uh, the one about that, uh, the little known Spider-Man villain, that, that, that the wrestler that gained superpowers when he put on a mystical mask. Right now, they're saying that movie is going before the cameras August 7th of this year and will be out in theaters January 12th of next year. That's ambitious. If we look at the, the first quarter of next year. Okay, so in theory, El Morto comes out on January 12th. Six weeks later, uh, Madam Webb arrives in theaters on February 16th. Then six weeks after that, on uh, March 29th, we get Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse, the third part of the animated Spidey trilogy. That's a lot of Spider-Man content inside of three months. Yeah. And, and now to further muddy the water here. I mean, Aaron and I are recording this at like quarter of nine East Coast time on Thursday night. Two hours ago, Deadline revealed that Sony has just announced to the trades that it's reserving 
two dates, two more dates for Spider-Man related projects. One of them is November 8th, 2024, and the second is June 27th, 2025. Could one of these be a new release date for El Morto? What's fascinating is to watch the number of people who are already sticking a flag in June 27, 2025 and saying, okay, there it is. That That's Tom Holland's Spider-Man 4. Now, here's the thing. It's possible. Spider-Man Homecoming was released to theaters on July 7, 2017. The second of, of that series, Far From Home, was released on July 2nd, 2019. So a June 27, 2025, kind of in the same window, rather than being to one side of July 4th weekend, it's on the other side. But here's the thing, Aaron, the top earner so far of the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies, uh, No Way Home, uh, that's the one that made 1.9 billion worldwide. Uh, that was released to theaters December 21st, 2021. Not sure how to read the tea leaves here right now. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's that secret melange or recipe that the chef won't give up. It's like, yeah, well, does uh, all these other Spider-Man movies have an Andrew Garfield or a uh, Tobey Maguire in them? Well, you know, that kind of plays something in beyond just the date. Mm -hmm. Because I think once opening weekend for that third Spidey flick came out, word mm -hmm. of mouth then started to buzz. Oh, by the way, something really, really cool. And like I told a, a friend of mine, mm -hmm. you know, have you ever seen the Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield movies? And they're like, oh, yeah, but it's been a really long time. Like, you should just, you know, watch them before you go see this Spidey movie for reasons of its own and they're like oh, okay and they did they ended up spending like an entire week watching all five of those movies but when they went in and and watched spider-man no way home mm -hmm. you know that moment when andrew catches uh mj yep. in, in the fall and he has that uh, emotional reaction oh yeah. that hit him so hard because that was a fresh wound all of a sudden yeah. that wasn't years and years old and and you know oh recalling from memory oh yeah i remember when that happened that was just last week damn oh that hurts i'm crying why am i crying uh, <laughs> that's yeah that one again I, I that was that was a fun day at the movies and speaking of circling back when we get back from this break folks we're gonna uh not only uh, talk about the first two movies in the MCU, but we're going to talk about a gentleman who had a, a, a huge impact. He's one of the reasons we love Marvel Comics. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, we spent a lot of today's show talking about the MCU. To be specific, the 32 interconnecting films that Marvel Studios has produced since 2008. With the first two, uh, Iron Man and The Incredible Hulk being released within six weeks of one another. John Favreau's Iron Man arrived in theaters May 2nd, 2008, and then Louis Leterrier's The Incredible Hulk showed up in your neighborhood multiplex on June 13th of that same year. I bring up these two MCU films tonight because 
Well, the original Iron Man was originally released by Paramount. Disney acquired the distribution rights to that Favreau film, July of 2013. Uh, that was nearly four years after the mouse announced its intentions to acquire Marvel Entertainment in August of 2009. Whereas The Incredible Hulk was released by Universal Pictures. And Wednesday of this week, Walt Disney Studios Home Entertainment began taking pre-orders for a collectible steelbook edition of the original Iron Man. This 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray isn't going to hit store shelves till September 5th of this year. And it's I love this revision in this Disney Studio history because Disney is in the middle of celebrating its 100th anniversary. And they want to re release this steelbook edition of the original Iron Man because the thinking is now it is one of the most important titles in the Disney film library. If there wasn't the Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man, there wouldn't have been an MCU. Where is the Incredible Hulk, which again, produced and released by Universal Pictures, is making its Disney Plus debut. On Friday, June 16th, the exact same day that this edition of Marvelous Disney goes live online. And Aaron, there's been a lot of speculation about what this means. And you would say, was it last year that the stories began to bubble up that the film rights for both the Hulk and Namor the Submariner had, had supposedly mm -hmm. returned to Disney, right? Supposedly. I mean... I do recall that we did a story once upon a time about it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, that seemed like when I read the, the headline, like just today, mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, I thought that happened over a year ago. Mm -hmm. So why is it that the Incredible Hulk is now showing up today? Mm -hmm. Is there something that triggered it that, that made it available? I mean, there's all sorts of language in the contracts between for distribution between mm -hmm. movie theaters and then, well, after it gets out of theaters, then it goes to HBO. And mm -hmm. then after HBO, then it goes to Blu-ray. And then from, I mean, did was there language somewhere that all of a sudden it's now available for Disney to scoop up and, and yank it away or what? Take, for example, September of last year, the Hulk character made appearances for about a week, 10 days inside of the Disney California Adventure uh, theme park. This was in the time travel suit from Endgame. Likewise, we had the Hulk's son uh, introduced to the MCO in the final episode, She-Hulk, Attorney of Law, uh, mid-October of last year. And whenever I talk to anybody at Marvel about, you guys have the rights, right? And they're like, well, that would be news to the folks at Universal. But at the same time, it's like, the question is, which rights are we talking about here? Now, for example, Universal clutches the theme park rights that it has to the Marvel characters, which, by the way, it had both the, the East Coast and the West Coast rights. But in one of those decisions that I'm sure cost somebody their job, they just weren't using the Marvel characters on the West Coast, except for, for walk-around characters. So in the winter of 2008, 2009, somebody on the West Coast decided, do we really want to continue to pay for those to have Spidey and Wolverine and Storm meet with folks, you know, on the upper lot? And it's like, yeah. And they let that lapse, not knowing that a mere six to eight months later, Disney would then buy Marvel Entertainment. 
Now, I, I want to lie to you. There are people uh, who really, really, really want Disney to gain full control to the rights of hold, not just the theme park rights. You know that they, because the way it works now, the deal that Disney supposedly has with Universal is they are free to use the Hulk. But not, he's always got to be a supporting character. He can't be the star of the film. So the Mark Ruffalo version of the Hulk is always sort of, he can be part of the team, he can be featured, but he can't be the star of the show. The thing of it is, is that there are, are, are folks who are would love to see Disney make a run at doing a full-blown movie version of World War Hulk. There's a number of folks who immediately when they learned that Disney had bought Fox and they're going to re reboot Fantastic Four and given Reed's Richards role in the World War Hulk comic book crossover event, mm -hmm. it's like, that's why they're bringing him on the canvas. They're going to do World War Hulk. Aaron, this is not actually a, a crazy idea. I mean, think about it. If the MCU pattern holds... Four years after we do the second event film, the Avengers Secret War in 2027, you know, they're going to be looking to tee up another Avengers event. So I think you were just talking about Galactus. For the next phase of, of what comes next. Yeah. Well, the thing that got me thinking about Marvel most recently about their movie release dates mm -hmm. is all of the date changes that just happened in the last couple of days because it wasn't just Marvel movies mm -hmm. that got pushed back. Um, the Avatar sequels I they think, did. all got yep. pushed back by a little bit. So it's like those, I think, you know, Kathleen Kennedy may have been the one that was talking about event films mm -hmm. that they only happen once every so often. You can't have four per year mm -hmm. and still have it be special. And that's the thing with Marvel is like, we've got so many darn characters that, mm -hmm. you know, a Thor movie should be different from a guardians of the galaxy movie. They've got their own personal identities, but you've also got, Bob Iger back in the office who's trying to tell Kevin Feige, slow down, man. Less, we need a little bit less. We need smaller budgets. We need not as many TV series. We need to space them out a little bit more. So I just wonder if all of the shuffling, I know it's got to do with the writer's strike, mm -hmm. but does it also happen to coincide with what Bob Iger would like because if you move Secret Wars and Infinity War or I'm sorry Secret Wars and uh, the Kang Dynasty back by another year or two mm -hmm. doesn't that ease up your budget a little bit for a, a year or two somewhat the downside is that if you look at what a movies cost to make in the early 2000s versus what they cost to make today right uh, in our age of amazing digital effects and, and that sort of thing it's still always expensive and more to the point if you were developing something and you have housekeeping deals with your actors and, and that sort of thing. Right. Uh, there's, there are expenses that you have to carry on the books. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I think you are correct. There, there clearly has to be some sort of a financial element here. But at the, at the same time, again, you need writers to write the scripts. and you And the other thing, to be honest, is... There are a number of other potential strikes coming over the hill. In fact, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, as 
Scarlett Johansson's uh, interview also alluded to that, you know, to the effect of the project that she's producing for Marvel may get tripped up by a producer's guild strike. So to circle back to World War Hulk, that was a crossover event for Marvel Comics in 2007. And given that John Romita Sr. stopped working full-time for Marvel Comics back in 1996, I guess I doubt that this legendary Marvel artist would have worked on the crossover that crossover event. But, but then again, given that John, in what he saw as his semi-retirement, was busier than most men in, at the height of their careers, that he kept going back to Marvel. I, I honestly can't say for certain if Romita Sr. didn't have something to do with World War Hulk. In fact, in a 2002 interview, Romita was quoted as saying, no matter what success I've had, I, I've always considered myself a guy who can improve on someone else's uh, concepts. A, a writer and another artist can create something, and I can make it better. And I bring up John Romita Sr., Aaron, because earlier this week it was revealed that we lost uh, this revered comic book artist. Uh, he was the co-creator of beloved Marvel characters, Wolverine, the Punisher. Uh, I mean, he's, he was part of the—came up with Mary Jane Watson. Anyway, Romita Sr.'s death was was announced Tuesday night on Twitter by his son, uh, John Romita Jr., who uh, is a successful comic book artist in his own right. And he tweeted out that, I, I say this with a heavy heart, my father passed away peacefully in his sleep. He is a legend in the art world. It would be my honor to follow in his footsteps. Please keep your thoughts and condolences here out of respect for my family. Uh, he was the greatest man I ever met. Do you have any specific uh, memories of, of, I mean, obviously he worked on a number of books. You, you know, mm -hmm. you must be familiar with him, be a fan of Aaron. Yeah, I've, I've got many. He was a longtime artist for Spider-Man, and then his son, I want to say in uh, 2000s, mm -hmm. did a, a long run of Spider-Man. And I would curse at his son by comparing him to his father. Isn't mm -hmm. that the worst for a kid, is to be compared directly to your dad? But yeah, I'd look at, at his Spider-Man versus dad Spidey and go... Yeah, you got chops, kid. I'll give you that, but she ain't no senior. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But respect to him. I mean, he is both brilliant artists. Oh, no, no, no. Absolutely. Absolutely. But Ramita Sr., I mean, he was born in Brooklyn in 1920, son of a baker. One of five kids. He graduates from the Manhattan School of Industrial Art in 1947, serves in the U.S. Army, and was working in comics by the age of 19. Yeah. Okay, next decade and a half, he splits time. He's going back and forth between the companies that would eventually become Marvel and DC, uh, Timely Comics and National Comics, uh, and, uh, you know, working a, a number of titles, but largely, you know, specializing in romantic comics. But it's not till 1966 that Ramita begins a five-year run working with Marvel Editor-in-Chief Stan Lee on The Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, he took over for artist Steve Ditko, who invented the character with Lead back in 1961. Steve and Stan had a fight, and so, uh, you know, uh, Ramita was a tag, you're it. The next five years, so much of the stuff we, we know even today about Spider-Man, whether it's his, his love interest, Mary Jane, or Kingpin, again, the crime boss, 
And what's interesting, it was during Ramita Sr.'s run that Spider-Man overtook Fantastic Four as uh, Marvel's top seller. And and it was during this time that Spider-Man literally became the face of the company. You know, that, 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 you know, that logo in the corner that had half Peter's face and half of Spider-Man's face? Yep. Okay, anyway, 1972, Romita becomes Marvel's unofficial art director, a role that he was formally given a year later. And he then contributes to the design of characters like Luke Cage, the Punisher, and Wolverine while training Romita's Raiders. Uh, this is a group of in-house artists that would uh, would often fix pages that had just, you know, they, they, you know, were in the production pipeline that were deemed unusable. And it's just like, oh, God, you know, we need to get this at the printer. Fix that. He would then serve as Marvel's art director for more than two decades while completing artwork for a number of titles. In, in fact, uh, the one he, he's very well known for is the, the 1987 uh, Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 21, which has, that's the one where Spider-Man and, uh, well, in Peter Parker form, uh, Peter Parker and Mary Jane are, are tying that on the cover. Are there any particular books during that period, you know, that, that you loved or that, that you have in your collection, Aaron, or? I don't know if he did the death of Gwen Stacy or not. I would have Ooh. to look it up. Okay. All right. Yeah, actually, uh, John Romita Sr. ended up, uh, I guess, doing the ink work for uh, the, the death of Gwen Stacy in the Ooh. Amazing Spider-Man comics. And uh, those are ones that I, I had from when I was a wee lad. Mm -hmm. Those, like, the Green Goblin used to give me nightmares as a little kid. Mm -hmm. So obviously he's my favorite villain for mm -hmm. the Spider-Man universe. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the death of Gwen Stacy is one of the earliest comics that I'd ever had that uh, really stuck with me forever and ever. Because it was like when, when you're tiny like that, the, the concept that the good guy can fail and someone can die was mm -hmm. mind shattering for, mm -hmm. for someone so young. And uh, it really it was like everything had consequences after that. So, uh, yeah, that was a that was a big one. Yeah, and and what does it say when you know when we lose it ninety three and people are still saying we lost him too soon. So anyway, Mr. Adams and I extend our heartfelt condolences to the friends and family of John Romita Senior during their, their time of sorrow. And that's basically going to do it for this week's show, folks. Uh, next week's show, Aaron and I will be talking about Secret Invasion, the new limited series that Marvel Studios is producing for Disney+. Plus. This sixth episode series, which stars Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury, debuts on that subscription streaming service on Wednesday, June 21st. And, uh, but if you know, you're looking for something fun to listen to in the interim, might I suggest 32nd Street? Um, so, so what are you covering on this week's episode, Aaron? This week's episode was uh, oh, alcohol, tobacco, firearms, and marijuana advertising laws. And it sounds so dry and so boring, but. Uh, we found out that we've we've been worried about losing our broadcast license because of the FCC will mm -hmm. take it away if you do certain things with alcohol. And uh, it's simply not true. It's actually an, an agreement uh, amongst all of the alcohol industry where they self-regulate so the government doesn't have to do it for them. 
because uh, tobacco was was like you can't advertise anymore; it's bad for children. And mm. then uh, so so the FCC was like you just you just can't. And so at that point, there were a lot of uh, drinking and driving accidents, and there was mm. Mad Mothers Against Drunk Driving, mm. and so there was a lot of public pressure. And so the alcohol industry said, "Hey, maybe if we do something about this, we'll still be able to advertise." But we won't be, you know, banned like like the tobacco industry. And mm. so they all they did was just add something simple, like a little tag that says, please drink responsibly. And that kind of absolved all the sins after that. And uh, so we were talking about like Norman Cheers. You remember the, mm-hmm. the finale? They were drinking actual beer. And then they went on. I think it was Leno for the that night. And they were oh. all faced on yes. that show right they and there were. was this big thing like oh is the fcc gonna you know take leno off the air and it was like mm-hmm. no because there's actually no real law saying you can't drink on television it's just frowned on and the broadcasters are like we don't want to encourage bad behavior so we just agree not to <laughs> but no law so if you're on television drink up we see anderson cooper do it on new year's eve right so uh yeah it's okay nothing bad will happen Oh, okay. Look forward to that episode. Um, and, and speaking of, of, of podcasts and the like, we have a couple other shows here we'd like you to check out. We have, of course, The Mothership, Disney Dish, I do, uh, which I do with Lentesta. We have Fine Tuning. Uh, and uh, Drew Taylor, right now as we speak, is over in France at Annecy uh, collecting all sorts of animated-related stories. I mean, he's coming back with... Loads and loads of stuff. You're going to want to catch these shows, folks. Looking at Lucasfilm, uh, Brian Gonnan, I will be bumping out a new show this weekend out ahead of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And if you could do Aaron on I a favor, if you could head on over to the Apple Store and rate and recommend, well, not just uh, the podcast you're listening to right now, Marvelous Disney, but also if you could put in a plug for 32nd Street, that would be helpful. If you really, really, really like what you heard here tonight, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be cool. Social media-wise, Aaron, uh, where can we find you? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter because Janelle Monet has been trending, and I found out it's it's good to click on Janelle Monet when she's trending. So I'm on Twitter a lot nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, I too am on Twitter. Likewise, on Instagram is Jim Hill Media, and also on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. And I guess that's going to do it for this week. So uh, thanks for listening, folks. And Aaron and I will be back soon.